0: And before we dive into our sermon, I want to come to God in prayer one more time. Heavenly Father, we come to this point of the service this morning, and we want to hear You speak to us. We want to hear what You have to say into our lives. So Father, we would ask that You would speak powerfully to each one of us, that you'd speak powerfully through your word and that you would remove anything in our lives and in our hearts and our minds that would hinder us from hearing what you have to say to us this morning. Lord, we ask that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. So I learned really quickly that we find out a lot about ourselves once we have children. Um, They seem to pick up every single one of our little quirks, whether they're good or bad. They're like these little sponges that every kind of, every facial expression you make, if you move your hands a lot or things that you say, they pick up on it and then repeat it back to you. One... One moment in particular, Um, as a young parent, I should just clarify this. As a young parent, I was fairly, I mean, I'm still pretty rough around the edges, but um, I was really rough around the edges when I had um, young children. And so the words that I said and the things that I did were not um, always appropriate, not always the best way of relaying things. Um, But I didn't really notice it because that's just kind of how I had always grown up and what I had done. Um, until um, one day it was uh, made aware to me as I was driving my little three-year-old, I, she was three or four, I don't remember which kid it was, but little blonde, pure innocent three or four-year-old girl in the back seat of my car, driving home from town, and it was goose season, and I love hunting geese, and so I was always looking in the fields and trying to figure out where the geese were, and we were driving, we were about home, and all of a sudden I hear from my little three-year-old in the back holy balls, look at all those geese. <laughs> and I turned around and I, where did that come from? Like Where would you learn that? And then I remembered a couple of days earlier, I had said those exact same words as I saw a huge flock of geese. <laughs> it was a caution to me to be more careful and more intentional about the way I use the words that I say. And in the same way that our children imitate us and as a father or a mother, Paul says in our passage today, he says we're to imitate our father as beloved children. As we've turned to Christ in faith, it says we've been pulled out of our sin and adopted into his family and now live as his beloved children and are called to imitate the father. In the same way that our children imitate us. But thankfully, our Father in heaven is a much better example than I was and am. And as we imitate Him in His holiness, we're increasingly transformed into His likeness and increasingly transformed in being made holy like Him. Let's look at our passage. Ephesians 5 verses 1 through 14. Nor should there there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This passage has three sections. starts off with a command... Goes into the, in verses 3 through 7, talks about the first reason for why we should follow that command. And then number, the third section is verses 8 through 14, gives another reason for the command. So, command and then two reasons why we should listen to what Paul is saying. The command is very straightforward. Be imitators of God. It's just, it's very clear says, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. As, as we've been adopted into God's family as his children, he says, imitate him as the father. And as we walk in a life of love as Christ, we're also imitating God. And so... Being an imitator of God and being an imitator of Christ Jesus are the same thing. But we're called to live this life of self-sacrificial love. That's what it says. Live a life of love just as Christ loved and gave Himself up for us. So it's a life of self-sacrificial love as we imitate God the Father and God the Son. Easy, right? I mean, just, it's just saying, imitate the most perfect being that exists. (laughs) Imitate him. Go, go and do it. It's not that easy. You know, you can, you can try to do it. And if you try to do it in your own strength, you'll fail. Even if you try to do it in the strength of the Spirit, you will eventually fail. We cannot perfectly imitate the Father. We will Always fall short, and we will never measure up and, and I remember talking to this with a teenager, this teenage girl in my youth group, and I said what i just said you'll, you'll never you'll always fall short, you'll never measure up and I remember the look on her face like what that's great <laughs> that's that's not uplifting and encouraging <laughs> Jason. Because she had been taught her whole life, you you are good enough and you you do measure up and you're you're fine just the way you are. And yet, interestingly, Scripture never, ever says that. It never says that we are good enough. It never says that we're perfect just the way we are. But that's the beauty of grace. Grace. The beauty of the Gospel of Grace is that we are not good enough, but God has adopted us into His family anyway. We don't measure up, but God has pulled us into His family, claimed us as His, and given us an inheritance in heaven. And he says, now that you're part of my family, as you're, now that you're my children, now, now imitate me. Walk in a way that honors me. And yet, we don't do that perfectly either, do we? We fall and we fail and we stumble as we try to follow Christ. And yet, God gives more grace. I mean, that should be incredibly freeing for us as believers. That we will never be perfect. But God loves us and called us, and chose us, and perfects us anyway. That as, as we live this life following Christ, running toward Christ, we will stumble and fall, and yet Christ will pick us up, set us on our feet, point us in the right direction, and then say, run, keep going, I've got you. It frees us because we don't have to be constantly afraid of stumbling and falling. We don't have to run the race tiptoeing through life afraid that we're going to mess up, afraid that we're going to stumble, afraid. No, he says just go. You are going to fall. And I'm going to pick you back up and I'm going to wipe you off and I'm going to send you back on the way. I and mean, that's that's the freedom of the gospel of grace. It doesn't it doesn't mean that we don't run the race and that we just sit at the at the start line and look and say, "Well, I'm going to fall." And that doesn't mean that we tiptoe through life. We, we just go. We see Christ and we follow Him. And when we stumble and fall, we know that Christ will forgive us. So be imitators of God. Paul moves on to his first reason for why we should be imitators of God. And I'm just going to warn everybody, and you maybe already felt that uneasiness this one makes us all uneasy a little bit. Kind of, kind of makes us uncomfortable. He says that we're, we're, our Father is a whole and holy and pure God, and as His children, then as we imitate Him, we should be a holy and pure people. He says among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. So, he says, part of imitating God is saying no to certain things. And he says, since God is holy and pure, sexual immorality, impurity, greed, obscenity, foolish talking, none of that, you should, there should be no hint of that among you as you imitate the Father. And the reason why is, as we imitate the Father, it says we're supposed to live lives of self-sacrificial love. And I think it's fairly obvious: um, no one fell into sexual immorality because of self-sacrificial love. It's all about selfish ambition. No, nobody fell into the sin of greed over self-sacrificial love. It's all. Stirred by me, 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 me. So if we're imitating God, if we're following Christ in self-sacrificial love, there should be no hint of these other sins. But then he says this, and this is the one that really makes us uneasy. Here's the reason. Every time you see for, f o r, Paul's going to give you a reason for something. For of this you can be sure, no immoral impure or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. I just want to let that one sit for a little bit because that's heavy. <laughs> that's, that's a warning. I mean, no sexually immoral person has an inheritance in the kingdom of God. That's what Paul is saying right here. No greedy person has an inheritance in the kingdom of God. A strong warning. He's, he's intentionally trying to shake us a little bit. And and I know that you know our, our gut reaction is to say, well, just hold on, Pastor. You you just said at the beginning of your sermon that we're gonna mess up and we're gonna fall short and we're never gonna run this race perfectly. And even at the beginning of this book in chapter two, Paul says we're saved by grace through faith, and this is not a work of our own, What not this contradicting that? Isn't this saying that now we're saved by works or we have to be perfect in that race? And the answer is no. That's not what Paul's saying. It's not what I'm saying. What I said last time I preached, when when we turn to Christ in faith, we, we turn from our sinful lives, we turn towards Christ and we run toward Him. You're either running toward Christ or you're running away from Christ. You can't be running in two directions at once. The Bible's very clear on that. There's no in-between. You're either running toward Christ, Christ. You're running either toward Christ or away from Christ. You cannot be running in both directions. And what Paul's doing here is he's intentionally getting people to question, what direction are you running? Are you running toward Christ? Or are you running away from the kingdom and toward the wrath of God? Now, of course, when we're running to Christ, we don't run perfectly. We stumble, we fall, we mess up. Of course, there are people who are running toward Christ who are struggling with sexual immorality. But as they're running toward Christ and the sexual immorality is trying to grab hold of them and pull them away from Christ, they're slapping its hands and saying, get away, get away, I'm going towards Christ. Or there's people who are running toward Christ who have greed trying to grab hold of them and pull them back and they're struggling with it and they're fighting it and they're waging war saying, stay away, I'm going this direction. But what Paul's saying is, if there's sexual immorality in your life and you know it and you're not waging war against it, you're not slapping the hands off of it, you're kind of cuddling with it, flirting with it, he says you're actually running away from Christ and running away from the kingdom and toward the wrath of God. It's heavy words. If there's greed in your life and you're not fighting it, You're not struggling with it, but you're just kind of cozying up with it. He says you're running away from the kingdom and toward the wrath of God. Or whatever sin it is in your life. And Paul's saying, turn from it. Turn from that sin. Turn to Christ. Wage war against that sin in the power of the Spirit and find the life that Christ has for you. Because sin is a big deal. in In Romans, Kurt, you want to there we go. the wages of sin is death, not the wages of sin is a boo-boo, or the wages of sin is a skinned up knee. no, the wages of sin is death and destruction and you know in our in our culture today we don't like to think that sin is that big of a deal. we think it's it's just a little dirt, it's just a little stain, like not a big deal we don't need to just just don't worry about it so much let's just kind of move on and Paul says, no, sin is killing you it's destroying you and all the people around you don't mess with it. fight it, run away from it, and run toward." Christ, And he even says in the very next verse, he says, don't let anyone deceive you with empty words, because in their culture, too, in in Ephesus, there were people saying it's not a big deal. If I had time, I'd get into it. But Ephesus was full of sexual immorality. The main god was um, Artemis or Diana, which was a fertility god. So all of the worship of her involved prostitutes and sexual immorality. The whole city was into it. And Paul says, yeah, they're going to tell you this isn't a big deal, but it is. Turn from it because it will kill you. It's not just a little dirt. It's not just a little stain. Run from sin. His second reason he gives is this analogy between light and darkness. And the last chapter, he talked about you know, putting off the old, putting on the new. Now he says, you once were darkness, but now you are light. In the Lord, live as children of the light. And just to make sure we're connecting this through, to live as children of the light means to live as children of the Father who is light. The Bible says there's light and there's no darkness in him at all. And so to live as children of the light is to be imitators of God. You can see that thread going through the whole passage. And he says we live that way because when Christ saved us, from our sinful nature, and 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 God adopted us into His family, now He gave us an identity and says, you're no longer dark, you are light. It's not even that we once lived in darkness. It says we were darkness. And now we are light. At the core of our identity and being, we are light. And Paul says, you have a new identity. You've been rescued from darkness. Now, Now go into the world and live that way. And it says... Just find out what pleases the Lord. I mean, I think that's just a really simple way of saying, he says, if you want to live as children of the light, just figure out what pleases the Lord and then do that. Let that question kind of be part of your life. Ask, does this please the Lord? And again, to, uh, to go back to what he talked about at the beginning, I don't think anyone has ever fallen into sexual immorality because they stopped beforehand to think, does this please the Lord? No, they didn't stop and they thought, this pleases me. The same with greed or any other sin. You don't fall into sin because you take a moment to think, does this please the Lord? It flows out of us saying what pleases us. So Paul says, figure it out, like work towards trying to figure out what is pleasing to the Lord and there are easy I mean some of these questions are really easy I mean if you have two questions before you should I sleep with someone who's not my wife or should I not okay which one's pleasing to the Lord I know that that's an easy one right that's clear but we get into other situations in life where do I pick this job or this job that may be an easy one, depending on what the job is, but sometimes they both look like they may please the Lord, and you're wrestling with, which one pleases the Lord more? And so those are difficult questions. It's not easy. But in order to figure that out, we need to be saturated with God's Word. We need to know God's Word and what what He who He is and how He works in the world and what pleases Him in order for us to better understand what pleases the Lord. We need to find ourselves in a Christian community like this. Not We don't always have things figured out. We need other people to come alongside and help us to know what pleases the Lord. We also need to keep ourselves saturated in prayer. Just asking God repeatedly, what, what pleases you in this situation? I can't figure out which way I should go, Lord. Help me. Send your Spirit. Give me strength. Give me. Open my eyes to see. And then once it becomes fairly clear then step out in faith and and do that. Live as children of the light. Now, like I mentioned in the beginning, we don't do this perfectly. And I don't want anybody to leave here thinking that I'm expecting everyone to leave here and, and to live as children of the light and to do that perfectly. We fall short. We repeatedly need God's grace. We repeatedly need the Spirit's Um, power and strength and guidance in this. But this is what we're called to do as we rely on the Spirit. Live as children of the light in the midst of darkness. And when we do that, a couple things happen. Paul says it's going to expose them. Don't have nothing to do with darkness, but rather expose it. Because that's what light does. If we live as children of light in the world... We bring this light out into the darkness and light naturally exposes what's hidden in the darkness. If you are to walk down the hallway and the storage closet's completely dark and you open the door just a crack, even the light from the hallway is going to shine in there and expose everything that's hidden in the darkness because that's what light naturally does. Our lives will automatically do that as we go into the world. It will expose the futility and the foolishness of the darkness. I was thinking about um, in Minnesota, we're heavily involved in the hockey community and God had kind of laid it on our hearts that this was kind of our mission field in the in the area. And so we were sharing our faith and we were working with them. But one of the things that the hockey community loved to do was every time there was a weekend tournament, the parents would use it as an opportunity to get drunk and stupid. Um, they would just let their kids kind of run all over and they would go and get trashed. And that's just what they did every time they would be talking about how excited they were to go away on a hockey tournament for their kids and get drunk. And, uh, one tournament in particular, they were doing that and Rachel and I just refused to participate in that. We, that's, we did not think that was pleasing to the Lord. And so we would we would kind of hold ourselves out. And one tournament, all the parents were off doing that, and all of a sudden all of their kids kind of ended up migrating down and were hanging out in our room. We had the entire hockey team in our room and another Christian parent. And we were hanging out with them. We were playing games, and they were having a fun time. And then we went to the hockey game the next morning, and there was a group of parents sitting over here, and a group of parents sitting over here, and a group of parents who didn't even come to the game because some big fight had broken out, and somebody had said something to someone, and someone had did this to that person, and it was just a big convoluted mess. And in the midst of that, we weren't trying to do anything, but in the midst of that, just the light of our Christianity shone, exposed to the foolishness of what they were doing. The kids all of a sudden noticed that there was something different between... The lives of these Christians and their parents. And even the parents felt an intense, intensified sense of shame over the foolishness of what happened the night before in the darkness. And that happened just naturally by us being around them. So light naturally exposes what's dark. But Paul also says something I think is very powerful. This is from the ESV translation. It's not the NIV because I think this is a little more accurate. It says, when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Okay, so not only when light comes into the darkness, it exposes, makes it visible. And then he says, whatever is made visible becomes light or is light. And uh, it's kind of hard to grasp. It took me a while of meditating on it. But what Paul's talking about is this transformative nature of God's light shining through us into the world. Not only does it just expose the futility and the foolishness of darkness, but it actually brings about transformation. It transforms the darkness into light. And as I wrap up, I just want to, Emphasize this a moment because over the years as I've talked with numerous people about reaching the lost and getting into the world and having these conversations, I repeatedly hear people who think we need to become more like the world in order to reach the world. We need to become more like them. We need to take our light and dim it a little bit because our light's offending them. And so we don't want to offend them, so we just got to become more like them and pretend like we do all these things, just kind of join them in some of this stuff so that we're not seen as judgmental or we're not seen as holier than thou. And so we need to dim our light. And Paul says, actually, that's going to hinder our gospel proclamation. The brighter our light is, the more transformation happens in the world Trying to be like the world will never leave the world wondering why they need Jesus because they will see us and think, well, they're just like me. Why would I need Jesus? He does exactly what I'm doing. As we strive to live out lives as children of light in the world and as we strive to live as imitators of God, the light of Christ and the light of God shines through us into the world and brings about transformation. Transformation. And that's how we reach a lost and fallen world. We, we live as children of light in the world and we preach a gospel of grace. And John says in his gospel, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not overcome it. Darkness has no power over light. I just want to finish with Jesus says in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father In heaven. Let's pray. Father, we come before you recognizing that we do often fall short. We try to live more like the world than like you. We do what pleases us rather than what pleases you. We allow sin to hang around our lives. We don't fight it. We cuddle it, coddle it. Lord, forgive us. We ask You to forgive us those sins. We ask You to renew us and shape us and send us out of this place with the power of Your Spirit leading us as we go reminding us of who you are and how you've created us to live. May we leave here as lights in a dark world. May we bring honor and glory to you. And may people see your light and come to you and be transformed. And all God's people said, Amen.